Hi, this is Rachel Sherman, and welcome to the FitFab and 40-something podcast, where each week we'll discuss issues surrounding health, wealth, fitness, and wellness to help you navigate your way through your 30s, 40s, and 50s. Hello, everybody, and welcome to uh, the podcast today. So I have a feeling that today I will be learning a lot of new things out of the episode. I have with me Fiona Gruber, who is a physiotherapist with a special interest in women's and pelvic floor health. Now, she has a strong focus on patient-centered care um, and a Bachelor of Health Science and Masters of Physiotherapy practice, as well as a graduate certificate of physiotherapy and pelvic floor physiotherapy. Uh, And if you can't guess already, we're going to be talking about pelvic floor health today. So thank you for joining us today, Fiona. I hope you are well. Thank you for having me. I've been really looking forward to um, being part of this podcast. It's actually my first podcast appearance, so this is my debut. Welcome. Well, we're very excited to have you on and to to learn a bit about um, what you do uh, and also um, you for, to learn about uh, pelvic floor health as well. So we might, um, I guess we might start at the start with the basics and I might get you to explain what the pelvic floor muscles do, where they are and why they are important for us. Sure. Perfect. So I think the pelvic floor are a group of muscles that are really not well understood and or known about for the reason that we can't see them. They actually all live internally. Um, So what they are, they're a group of muscles. They're made of the same skeletal muscle fibers in our arm, excuse me, as the muscles in our arms and our legs, which means they respond to training. And that's why physiotherapy can be so helpful in strengthening these muscles, just as if you were to come in to see me about your shoulder pain and your knee pain, I would want to increase the support in that area and strengthen those muscles. So the pelvic floor, they connect from the pubic bone at the front and wrap all the way under like a hammock, connecting to the tailbone or the coccyx. And women and men both have them, though my specialty is in women. Um, So they hold up the three main pelvic organs in women, being the bladder at the front, the uterus in the middle, and the bowel at the back. So they have a number of different functions. Bladder control, so making sure we empty our bladder fully when we want to and not emptying or leaking when we don't want to. Same with our bowels, so emptying our bowels effectively, making sure we're not constipated or straining and that we do not empty our bowels when we do not want to. And also they have a function in sexual function. So the ability to have an orgasm, arousal, and the last of their functions is actually to work with our deep core abdominals that sit at the front and wrap around our spine as well to help with posture and stability. Okay. Uh, What can cause us to have a weakened pelvic floor muscles? Sure. So I think one thing to discuss before we even get into that is that a lot of people think if I have a problem, such as the things I just mentioned, like leakage, for example, I must have a weak pelvic floor. Mm. I think it's worth noting here that many of us have an o- either an overactive or a pelvic floor muscle that's too on and cannot relax. 
And that can actually lead to the same issues as a weak pelvic floor, such right. as leakage, as well as other problems. So um, we're probably jumping ahead here, yeah. but what I was going to say is this is probably why it's so important to have an individualised assessment because it's really hard to know, is my pelvic floor too on or not on enough? For sure. Okay, so, um, so how answer- do we go about getting that assessment then? Perfect. So to assess the pelvic floor, there are a couple of ways. The, the gold standard, known as the gold standard assessment, actually involves an internal examination, should be done by a trained pelvic floor physiotherapist, mm-hmm. and that involves inserting a gloved finger into the vagina. We get you to do what you think a pelvic floor contraction is. Yep. We tell you if it's right or wrong. We can teach you how to find the best contraction through a number of different cues. And then we create a program based on what we find. So if someone is too on and maybe very good at turning on but just cannot relax, we will focus on that in your training. Right. So this assessment is pain-free, should always be pain-free, and if at any point elicits any pain, it's really important you speak to your therapist about that. Um, The other thing is that not everyone is comfortable with an internal examination, so we appreciate that. There are other ways to assess the pelvic floor, one of them being real-time ultrasound. So what you actually do with your physio, you come in with a full bladder, which for some people is a struggle, Mm. a full bladder, and what we do is we use an abdominal probe on your lower abdominals, and that brings up a little picture of your bladder, and we can see a lift of the pelvic floor when you turn on and hopefully a relaxation when you relapse. The issue with this is, and why it's not the best way to assess, is because the three the pelvic floor is a 3D structure, and what we get on the ultrasound is a 2D image of that 3D structure. So we're missing some elements of an assessment and we can't actually feel the contraction, unlike if I was to insert my finger. However, it is better than nothing and it does give us an understanding of what's going on. And sometimes it gives the patient really nice feedback because they can actually see the lift and the relax, hopefully, on the the image. Sure. So is it more common um, or about 50-50 really for women to have um, the weaker muscles or as you say those muscles that are too strong and always on and can't relax what would be more common in my practice i'm seeing more and more pelvic floors that are too on and can't relax yeah right um generally i mean i see a lot of women who have never been pregnant and never given birth yet have pelvic floor issues so we're talking women in their 20s and 30s as well um it also depends what problems they have and sometimes just this is why we always spend a lot of time initially asking you plenty of questions understanding your history because that can often give me an idea of what I'm going to find on the assessment Um, so for example if people say I leak well okay when do you leak Um, have you got pain on emptying your bladder when you rush to the toilet and empty your bladder, does a lot come out? And they might say, no, I I go and I feel I really need to go, but not much comes out. They've got chronic constipation or pain on intercourse. Um, Those are generally symptoms of a pelvic floor that's too on. So we can kind of get cues from the story that a 
they present with. Yeah. So different, um, each uh, uh, issue within the pelvic floor will obviously create different symptoms and um, problems that arise from those symptoms. Yeah, yeah. I mean, some may overlap. So, for example, uh, you know, the example of leakage, some people are really just weak. They cannot turn on and that's why they leak. But some people, they're too on to begin with. Even just relaxing and lying in bed, they will be on. Then when they move around or cough or sneeze or lift their child, they need their pelvic floor to turn on, but it can't turn on because it's too on to begin with. Yeah. Does that make sense? So that's yeah, why sure. you don't have that lift. You don't have that power available because it's been on all day. It's exhausted. <laughs> um, so it can't give you that extra help. And it's about teaching the muscle to turn on when you need yep. and turn off when you don't need it. Yep. And I often liken this to the analogy of people's traps, so people's shoulders. When they're, A lot of people, you know, if I was to go and massage their shoulders, they'd be really tight. And when you see someone with tight shoulders, you don't say, oh, you must be really strong there. We often say, oh, well, you've probably got neck and headache pain from there. So a muscle that's on all the time doesn't necessarily mean strength. And I think that's the other thing to remember. And that's why really doing an internal examination is the gold standard, is the best way to find out what's going on. And then we can give you a really nice detailed plan about how to go forward from there. Sure. Do you find that people um, uh, are often um, confused as to whether or not they actually have, like they uh, believe that they have weaker um, pelvic floor muscles, but it's actually the opposite? Yeah, definitely. I think it's much more commonplace to believe whether it's I've had a, a baby, I have my mum had problems therefore I have problems through as I'm aging that it's there's a problem because it's not turning on enough that's mm -hmm. maybe the idea that we all kind of imagine however generally and I think it's to do with a number of factors stress levels are really high especially enter pandemic um stress in our general body can also exist in our pelvic floor. So tension and general stress in life can aggravate that overactivity or hypertonicity in the pelvic floor. Uh, there's also a correlation with, you know, people were high-level athletes, dancers, ballet, um, gymnasts as well. They've always, especially from a young age, they've been encouraged to draw everything in, draw the abdominals in, tighten it up all the time. And the problem with that is, earlier I mentioned one of the pelvic floor uh, functions is to work with the deep core abdominals to provide stability for the trunk. If the abdominals have always been encouraged to be on and tighten up, the pelvic floor is also trained that way. Mm. So it can be a habit that's been developed over a number of years and when you're young and fit maybe your body can compensate and then maybe you get pregnant or give birth or a number you know even just the aging process can make a difference yeah. um, menopause is another time uh, so do we know when menopause um, occurs there's a large shift or a drop in estrogen um, change in hormones and that's another time where 
maybe something that was really not bothersome, maybe you only leaked a few drops when you really, really coughed heavily or quite unwell, and now it's a problem and you need to go all the time. So yeah, hormonal changes are another big one to be aware of, and obviously that happens when you become pregnant Yeah, and that also uh, occurs in the menopause period. So those are two other times where people say, oh, well, pre-pregnancy or before menopause, it's just a slight problem. Yeah, I went every few times, but didn't bother me. And now it's become more of a problem. Mm, for sure. Are there other things uh, you, you mentioned, you know, certainly those um, people that have had um, that kind of background in, um, you know, the ballet or gymnastics, uh, are there other things that we might be doing as a part of our life that, are, that may cause um, issues with our pelvic floor later on? Yes. So a big one is chronic constipation and straining. So if you, and whether that's to do with IBS, whether that's to do with other gut issues, or maybe you have always had the bad habits of just rushing out a lot of women, or especially young girls, there's often that fear of at school, not going to the toilet, uh, only emptying your bowels when you get home after work, that fear, and whether that's, you know, a society thing we need to change as well, that girls don't poo, you know, some of us have grown up with that. That fear of emptying can lead to holding on too much Mm. Um, and that can actually lead to what we call bowel distension. So your bowel, the smooth muscle of your bowel stretches and stretches and can accommodate heaps more than it should. And when you're young and fit, that's fine because there is that elasticity in the tissues. Um, As we age, that elasticity reduces and it can be harder to empty. So, again, uh, watching out for that. Uh, I have a lot of women come to see me for bowel problems and there are, there are plenty of things we can do. Uh, we don't only focus on the pelvic floor muscles. That's, that's definitely one portion of it. Yeah. But it's also what's your fluid like? What's your fibre like? What's your bowel routine like? Um, we, we assess your ability to empty your bowels. So your technique on the toilet, um, working on mechanics of different muscles, all of that is so, so relevant. And similarly with the with bladder problems, I'll often get people to do a bladder diary if necessary. Um, that's generally a, a three-day diary. It can be a bit annoying to do because you actually have to measure not only what you drink, but actually how much comes out. Uh, yep. um, and that can be a bit frustrating, but it gives us so much information and we can find out Is it what you're drinking? Is it how often? Are you fully emptying? Do we need to improve your ability to empty your bladder? What is going on? Because it's really hard to, no no one thinks about that. It's just a normal function. We go to the toilet, we urinate. Yeah. And I think that's, uh, you've just brought up a really important point too, that, um, you know, you might see a lot of people that come to you about um, pelvic floor issues. However, what they need to understand is that, it's not something that's going to occur in isolation. It's uh, about looking at, at everything holistically, I suppose, and looking at your your whole wellness and your whole health. Um, because as you say, you know, your diet, um, the amount of fiber, the amount of um, uh, fluid intake that you have, that's all going to have an impact um, on, you know, the end, I suppose. And a lot of people... Yeah, they, they're too laser focused on what that 
single problem might be to understand that it's their whole health needs to be brought into account too. Absolutely. When I get people in for an initial assessment, even if let's say they're presented with pain and intercourse and they just want to have pain-free sex and that's their goal, I'm asking them about their bladder. I'm asking them about their bowels. And, and look, maybe there is nothing wrong. Maybe their bladder sounds fine. Bowels are no problems. But I think it's a disservice if I'm not asking about those things just to check them off to make sure that we're not missing anything. I'll ask them about their, if they have chronic back pain, pelvis pain, hip injuries in the past, their exercise levels, their stress levels, what's their mental health been like recently? Because, again, we know uh, general anxiety and stress presents itself in multiple areas, including the pelvic floor. And there's also a direct link between jaw tension and clenching and grinding our teeth, which a lot of us do, and pelvic floor tension as well, which is really? something that, that a lot of people are not aware of. Yeah. I, like you said, diet, fluid, not only how much they're drinking, what they're drinking. Is it all caffeinated, for example? Um, there's, there's really so much we look at. And, uh, you know, so even surgeries, have they had multiple um, even laparoscopic in, investigations uh, into their appendix, which, again, is not gynecological, but that's, lives in the pelvis or kind of nearby in the abdomen. Yeah. Uh, what's, what have their periods been like? That, I, I get as far back as that. Are we able to determine um, ourselves um, whether or not we have a weak or a stronger pelvic floor? It's, it's a hard one. So the reason that, I mean, research shows 50% of women who are doing pelvic floor strengthening pelvic floor exercises are doing them wrong (laughs) yeah so one thing is that you don't want to put in all this time and not get the result you're hoping for or not improve your symptoms but probably even worse you you don't want to put in all this time and effort and actually be bearing down which can worsen things so it's it's really hard i mean look if you wanted i do have some women who've done self-internal examinations uh, at, at, at home, but really the best way is just to have an internal assessment. And but, but in saying that, we don't always need to do that. I have some women I've seen, they live interstate or international to me. I've never met them. I never will. And we do everything completely via telehealth. Mm-hmm. And I probably would not have believed myself that this pelvic floor physio could work virtually until I've just seen so many great results because I think one part of it is very much pelvic floor assessment. But like I said, we can find out what's going on from your storyline, from that really great, uh, great history taking that um, your physio should be doing. Then I can send you things to do. I can give you exercise to do. I can obviously via telehealth demonstrate things. Um, and then from there, implementing them very, I've only had one client that I've actually recommended. She goes see a local physio and we found one and we liaised together, but everyone else, it's really, it's really quite amazing how much this is education based. Mm. It's not as if I was treating your neck where I 
really need to do some hands-on treatment. Yeah. It's very, very different. Yeah. And at the end of the day, even if you do have a pelvic floor that's a bit more on than it needs to be, I, I'm not going to be obviously going home with you and practicing that. There's actually things that I get you to do every single day between our, let's say, every two to three week sessions. Would all physios um, be able to help with pelvic floor issues or do you need to find one that specialises in it? That's a great question. I definitely think you need to find someone who specialises in it. I was a general physiotherapist, even with an interest in women's health, pregnancy, but had not done that further training. And I felt like I couldn't, there was just such a big missing piece of the puzzle that I couldn't take care or understand or appreciate without doing this further course. So there's a number of different courses that um, physiotherapists can do, whether they're university-based. There's also one being developed through the Australian Physiotherapy Association at the moment. But it's so important for patients to see someone who's trained because we barely cover this, cover this in an undergrad. Mm. Um, it's not really covered. We maybe have one subject of one semester on pregnancy alone, and it's more the changes in pregnancy and knowing that there's a region called the pelvic floor. Um, nothing more than that. And I guess there's there's so much to cover in an undergrad. There's so many areas of physio. And in all fairness, I didn't realise how broad physiotherapy was till you delve further into it. So definitely seeing someone um, who is who's trained appropriately. There is the Continents Foundation of Australia. They have a physiotherapy-specific group and a directory. So you can type in your postcode and Hopefully someone will come up near you. But uh, otherwise finding finding someone who's, uh, you know, through your GP, through your gynecologist is really important. Yeah, okay. So are there things, say uh, someone with, uh, let's focus on, say, a weaker pelvic floor, are there things that people can easily do at home that may assist them to strengthen those pelvic floor muscles? Definitely. So doing, you know, you may have heard of Kegels. Uh, we, that's more of an American term, but we talk about pelvic floor strengthening just because Kegels are more about turning on and that's it. So we want turning on and turning off. Um, finding the right cue for you. So maybe we can go through some cues now of what can work. Mm-hmm. And the other thing to, con- to remember is that the pelvic floor muscles are all internal. So I get my clients to sit in front of a mirror because they should not see anything moving. They shouldn't see their glutes turning on. They shouldn't see their shoulders raising. Some people's eyebrows go up and down. <laughs> um, so it needs to be really isolated initially. Yeah. Obviously, we do need your pelvic floor to work when you're squatting, when you're lifting, when you're doing your weights. But you need to first get really good at doing it in isolation if you can't do it already. Sure. So what I get people to do, you can do it in any position, often lying or sitting are the easiest ones to do, but sitting kind of, and obviously we're sitting now, so we can do this together. So just making sure you've kind of got the center of your pelvis on your chair. So making sure 
Um, you can evenly feel both sit bones right and left mm -hmm. and that you're not too arched forwards into your pubic bone and you're not too arched backwards into your tailbone. So kind of the center of your pelvis. Yep. Now, again, remembering where the pelvic floor muscles live, that kind of hammock that goes from the front to the back, that we'll start with a cue of squeezing and lifting. So there are two layers of the muscles. There's that superficial layer, which is more of a squeezing and then there's that deeper layer, which is more that bladder and bowel function, and that's that lifting. So I want you now relaxing your tummy, relaxing your shoulders, and when you're ready, squeezing and lifting the vagina up towards your head. Can you feel that? Yep. Yeah, and then relaxing and letting it kind of sink down into the chair. Some other cues, and again, everyone's individual, and this is what we do during an assessment. We find out what is right for you. Imagine stopping some urine. So again, drawing up and then relaxing. Another one, stopping some wind. So for me, I know back passage cues work better for me. So stopping some, excuse me, stopping some wind. Another one, um, again, these get more creative as we go, <laughs> a zipper. So I love this one, but again, doesn't work for everyone. Imagine a zipper going from your anus, past your vagina, past your bladder hole, all the way to your pubic bone. Now I want you to imagine you're unzipped, so everything's relaxed. And then when you're ready, zipping back passage to front passage and drawing up and then unzipping. So even out of those few, how did that feel for you? Yeah. Um, do, you, do you think that people will easily get fatigued? Like how, how often should you be doing that kind of thing, um, you know, yeah. during the day and then how many reps? Absolutely. So, look, as a generic, um, as a generic uh, dosage, you would say initially once you start feeling, so first of all, can you feel the on and can you feel the off? I think Definitely. these are two questions you need to ask yourself. Yeah. If you say, yes, I can feel the on, I can feel the off, then I'd ask, are you holding your breath when you're doing that? If you're holding your breath, it's actually not what we call functional because when you lift weights, when you run when you cough and sneeze you actually can't hold your breath or you don't yeah. yeah and if you only train your pelvic floor muscles to work when you're breath holding one when you breathe your pelvic floor muscles say oh well she doesn't need me clearly or two i might be needed but i actually don't know how to work here so breathing is really important then yeah. once you say yeah i can breathe I would get someone to squeeze and lift or whatever cue works for them, hold for three seconds while breathing and then fully relaxing. For some people, again, those women who are a bit too on, as we discussed earlier, they might need a few seconds to relax. I have some people who take five seconds or more to fully relax sometimes. That will get better as you practice it, just as if you were weak and practicing getting stronger. So again, a full relaxation, however long that takes. And then starting with eight to 10 reps, and you can do that twice a day. Okay. So those uh, with the more um, overactive um, pelvic muscles, uh, are they focusing on doing the same type of exercises or are they trying to relax them, <laughs> trying to meditate with yeah, them? Yeah, so... <laughs> Well, it's, you know, you're not far off. I actually do involve mindfulness, whole body relaxation in those women who present who are too on or a bit overactive yeah. because 
they are not just on in their pelvic floor, they're on in their mind, in their shoulders, in their jaw. So it's actually tapping into all of that. And again, that's that holistic approach we discussed. Um, to answer your question, those women who are a bit on, we might start with going one second on, and generally they're quite good at turning on. And then we say, okay, relax pelvic floor, making sure you're letting go of your tummy. Often those women do turn on their glutes, their thighs kind of squeeze together, their inner thighs go on. They might draw their shoulders up. So um, making sure they're relaxing all of those muscles as well, not because they should turn on, but because they probably have. Yeah, yeah. And do you, obviously we're talking a lot about women and my um listeners are predominantly women but do men have the same kind of issues men yes so um again majority i, mean, I shouldn't say majority 100 percent of the pelvic floor clients i see at the moment are women as well but there is definitely a cohort um of men who have these problems you can imagine that the two major events i spoke about earlier being um pregnancy and menopause do not happen in men in the male so they don't have that hormonal influx. However, uh, the stats show that one in four Australians are incontinent, so urinary incontinence, um, and only one in three women are incontinent. So you can see there's that little extra percentage of men. Um, often they have these problems after a prostatectomy, so um, prostate removal, uh, whether that's due to cancer or enlarged prostate. So that's a that's one population. The other population of men that come in are those that generally have an overactive pelvic floor um, for pain on um, intercourse. Sure. So, yeah. And then the other population we see, well, again, pelvic, some pelvic floor physios see, which I may dabble in in the future, is paediatric incontinence. So bedwetting beyond the normal age mm. um so obviously going into primary school um chronic constipation so obviously with those children we're never doing internal examinations um but again a lot of education and often we find the parents uh, or you know whether it's the mothers that bring them in generally or even the dads they um they often improve their bladder and bowel habits <laughs> when sure. we're teaching their child yeah. Because uh, they're the ones that taught them. So often those habits get transferred along. Yeah. So if we're looking at um, those hormonal issues affecting um, our pelvic floor, going into perimenopause and menopause, how, how you, you briefly kind of touched on it earlier, but how does all that work? Um, how do the change in hormones affect our pelvic floor so if we say for example pregnancy um i have a lot of women who come to me with even back pain and pelvis pain in early stages of pregnancy so that's well before so for saying first trimester or even 12 13 14 weeks or earlier they're coming in with pain whether it's pelvic floor related or pelvis back pain um, they're coming in with urgency, so they need to go to the toilet a lot more. They're incontinent. Uh, those women have actually not gained 
physical weight yet. There's not, you know, the uterus is still quite small. Um, the growing uh, fetus is very small. So they don't even necessarily, you know, could say look pregnant or have told anyone because they just feel quite similar other than these new symptoms. And that is purely due to an influx in hormones. Mm. So um, we know estrogen peaks around 16 weeks. Um, obviously, that changes from person to person. And what that does, um, uh, sorry, not estrogen, relaxin, as well as other um, hormones as well, peak at 16 weeks. And that what that does is it actually leads to things becoming a bit more lax and loose, which is great because we do need the pelvis to expand slowly over time. And it means that our skin doesn't just stretch beyond normal. Uh, it generally can allow that stretch within safe parameters to make sure that we can recover in the postnatal period. However, it doesn't just affect the pelvis area. It affects our wrists. It affects our knees. It affects our ankles. And someone, for example, who rolls their ankle pre-pregnancy sometimes might start rolling their ankle a bit more during yeah. or feel a bit less stable in that area. So obviously ankle strengthening for that person would be helpful. It just has the same effect on the pelvic floor. The tissues are a bit more lax. They're a bit more sensitive. Um, and then obviously as the pregnancy progresses and there are some weight changes, there's an increase in the fetus, increase in the uterus and the placenta, uh, a lot more weight going downwards physically. You can see more the mechanical changes that would happen. Um, downwards pressure on the pelvic floor that have to hold up all that weight. That's where you'd see more um, the, the physical changes having an effect and making you go. You can imagine your bladder being squished down a bit more, having less room to expand, things like that. But you really can see the hormonal changes much earlier on. Um, and it's quite sometimes a bit confronting for women who weren't expecting to feel the effects of pregnancy so early on. Sure. And then leading into menopause. So same, so not, not the same thing. It's probably the inverse you could say um, that estrogen drops. Um, and we say that's to, that, that obviously affects the whole body. Some women get hot flushes. That's more of a systemic response, but some women get more, that urgency, that incontinence, vaginal dryness is the other one. Uh, and it just makes the tissues less plump, you could say. Right. So a bit, bit thinner and a bit less supportive. And that's why pelvic floor strengthening is so, so important. Um, but also things that we sometimes recommend in conjunction with seeing your GP is something like topical vaginal estrogen, which uh, is just a cream that can be put on twice a week and can just re-estrogenize the area um, without having any systemic effect. I was just going to mention that um, the other time where hormones can make a difference, which people don't realize, is postnatal and breastfeeding. So um, obviously to create milk or be lactating, you need certain pro um, certain hormones existing in your body and often women in the postnatal period don't realise that they still have hormones that are at elevated levels, not maybe as high as when they were pregnant, but higher than when they were pre-pregnancy, mm. which means that it's worthwhile considering this when returning to exercise if they want to go back to their pre-pregnancy weight training or running. You know, some people want to run 20 kilometres, even if it's at nine months 
postnatal, but some women do breastfeed for quite a while. And the research shows, everyone's different, of course, that sometimes hormones don't return back to pre-pregnancy levels until six to 12 weeks after seizing breastfeeding. Right. Nothing to, definitely not a reason to stop breastfeeding. It's not a reason that you can't go back to what you want, but it's just to be aware of it and also know that that gain will be made whenever it's right for you to stop breastfeeding. That's that's an exciting thing to have happen. Um, and for some people, they have no problems. It doesn't really affect them. But it's for those that are in that immediate postnatal period or breastfeeding further along, that can um, be something to consider. Okay. For our women in their 30s and 40s, um, does being fit and active, does that help or hinder um, uh, pelvic floor um, strength or weaknesses, issues? (laughs) Yes, definitely um, we know things like obesity, being sedentary, uh, that will lead to deconditioning of the entire body, including the pelvic floor. Mm-hmm. So definitely being fit and active is going to help on so many levels, including pelvic floor. Um, for example, going into menopause, uh, being stronger going into that is going to mean that you're going to have less problems or, or symptoms that we discussed. I guess it's more about the appropriate type of training and it depends what you're into. Some women in their 30s and 40s want to run. Some women don't want to run. They want to do their Pilates. It's more about incorporating pelvic floor into your training, so into your ideally resistance training or Pilates, and really someone in their 30s and 40s should be doing some sort of resistance training, whether it's through a gym or uh, kind of mat work, um, something outside of cardio exercise to keep up that strength in your muscles. Um, and just incorporating pelvic floor into that. And what I mean by that is learning how to go on and off, which we've discussed, but also incorporating pelvic floor into your training. So, for example, on a bicep curl, you bend your elbow. If we ask when, where is the effort there, it's when you bend. And then obviously as you go back to the original position of straightening your arm, mm-hmm. you relax pelvic floor should be incorporated even into something like a bicep curl. So as we bend our elbows, pelvic floor on and then relax. Same with a bridge. If we're lying on our back, lifting our pelvis up, pelvic floor on as you lift the pelvis and pelvic floor off as you relax. And that's how we teach our pelvic floor. Oh, she's doing this. She's doing a movement that I've been trained for. Turn on, support her. She's relaxed now. The the glutes have turned off. The bicep has turned off. Okay, I can rest now. Wonderful. So to wrap up, Fiona, um, what do you think is the most important message that you would love, like for women to know about their pelvic floor health? I think, I mean, there's, ma- there's many messages, but to, to summarise, um, it's more that it's, it's, it's an area where so much can be done. It's not that you've been pregnant and obviously going to leak after you're pregnant that's just life from now on or even if you're currently pregnant doesn't mean you have to deal with these problems it's not all part of it we can potentially improve your function or minimize the effects of that same with menopause definitely same with pain on intercourse it's definitely not normal a lot of pelvic floor problems are extremely common 
but they're not normal. So that can hopefully be the takeaway that there is help out there. Pelvic floor physiotherapy has such good, we, we call it level one evidence, which means it's the highest quality of evidence to support it. And it really does work if you put in the time and effort with a trained uh, therapist because it's not something that uh, has to be dealt with and there's plenty of ways uh, to, to improve your function and make sure you can get back to things. I, I've seen many, much too many women avoid exercise because they're leaking or avoid things that they want to do which, again, if we avoid exercise, that has so many flow-on of negative mm. effects. So that's what I love. I love the helping women return to running. So, you know, I had a 40-year-old who has three children at home and she's now returned to jogging and she doesn't want to run, but she just wants to jog and she couldn't yeah. do that without feeling heavy or leaking. Yeah, for sure. So that, no, that's, that's, that's the moments we live for. <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> Well, thank you so much for your time today. Um, really appreciate it. I have learned so much. Um, and I, yeah, we all appreciate the, the um, education that you've brought us uh, and uh, hope that uh, we're able to go out there and um, implement some of these exercises that we've discussed today. Perfect. Thank you so much for having me. It's been great to chat about this. Thanks for listening to the Fit, Fab and 40-something podcast. As always, I'd love it if you could take a screenshot from whichever platform you're listening on and share it on your social media. And don't forget to tag FitFab and 40 Something Podcast on Instagram. Until next time, see you later.